This is nice. New place to explore with lots of room. Plenty of food, too. Really, this is a big upgrade from the last place. Just gotta scooch on in here. Oh, pardon me, just coming through. Yeah, this could really work out. No real competition or threats anywhere in sight. Yep, that's it. This is your new home. Okay, so maybe you're not supposed to be here. And maybe you're killing the locals, but honestly, who cared about the environment anyway? And invasive is such a strong word. You've just relocated. I'm Harper Hunt, and this is Cursed Knowledge. Welcome back to Cursed Knowledge. I'm Harper Hunt. And I'm Ben Hunt. And today I want to tell you about some of my favorite animals. Okay, they're not my favorite. They're kind of my least favorite. They're no one's favorite, really. They're the invasive species. Nice. So just to define some terms, an invasive species is any living organism, plant, animal, anything that has been brought from one region to another. And once it is in that new region, it has somewhat decimated the area, usually because it has no natural predators mm -hmm. or it just kind of outcompetes the native organisms for resources. So you can be an introduced species without being an invasive species. Gotcha. But invasive species are kind of a problem and they're kind of everywhere. My favorite example, and I do say favorite for a reason, is the Burmese python in the Everglades. Okay. So as the name might suggest, the Burmese python, not originally from America. Right. But people started bringing the animal over as pets, and people realized, wow, this thing is giant, needs so much food, and it's too hard to take care of. So you dump it in the swamp. In this case, the swamp is the Everglades. And now the Burmese python is realizing, wow, I love it here. This is great. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> And it really was. They have eaten 90% of small to medium uh, mammals and birds what? in the Everglades. Oh, my God. They are eating everything in the Everglades, and they have no <laughs> natural predators. And before you start, no, alligators don't count as a real predator for them. Hmm. Because they are just as likely to eat an alligator as oh, an alligator on. is to eat them. Yeah. Wow. Had no idea. So they basically have free range over the Everglades, and there's nothing people can really do about it. So that's one. And another reason why I will never be going to the Everglades. I knew that was going to come out of this. I knew yes. that was. Yeah. Reason number 89. 89, we'll for sure. We'll be to 100 by the month is up. Yep. Another one is the European starling. So found pretty much mm. everywhere in America. A bird. A bird. As the name might suggest, European in origin. <laughs> right. And it came over to the Americas because some idiot really liked Shakespeare. Hmm. He was a big fan of Henry IV. And somewhere in that, I don't know where, you can tell me the line, a starling is mentioned. A European starling. A European starling. Of course, yeah. So he brings over 100 European starlings and releases them in Central Park in New York City. That sounds like such a romantic gesture. But what? So what's the problem with the European starling? The problem with the European starling is that it's outcompeting all of the native birds for food. Oh, gotcha. It's literally taking food out of their mouths. Just stealing food everywhere. So now we have another species of bird that's driving out the native population. Just all of the American starlings 
can't compete. Well, while we're on the subject of birds, can I mention one? Because I don't know oh, if yeah. this counts as an invasive species or not. But I remember reading something about how house cats, mm -hmm. but particularly, you know, feral cats, like feral Burmese pythons, right? You, and you feral a, hogs also. And feral hogs, Also right? introduced species. Well, is, is that right? So, so I guess I guess that makes sense, right? I mean, the house cat came over with someone, right? Yes, house cats are one of the biggest invasive species, and are actually a huge biodiversity threat. Because I'd read some, and this was a crazy yes. number in terms of birds and mm -hmm. small mammals that they kill. And birds, in particular, it was like it was it was like a million a day or more than that. I mean, it was some crazy number. So, there's estimated to be about 100 million feral or outside cats. Mm -hmm. Every year they kill about 1 billion creatures. So your number was a low estimate. My number was a low number. You were lowballing there. Good Lord. They are huge problems. And no one thinks about, you know, your cat as being a problem. I, I love cats. I love our cats. But I would never let them outside because they would just wreak havoc. A lot of it comes from the fact that there are just too many cats. And because we keep them and protect them as pets, we are taking greater care of them, longer lives. They have well, extra like, food at home, so they kill for sport. Well, it's also like Bob Barker used to say about spaying and neutering your pet, right? Because as I please, understand please it, do it, please do it, everybody. It's mostly the feral cat populations yes. that are responsible for this, you know. Mass murder. Mass murder. Of, genocide. Of, 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 of little birdies. Yeah. Yeah. It is a huge problem. And I think that it's something that's very easy to ignore as a problem when, you know, your cute little kitty maybe kills one or two birds a year when it gets outside. That doesn't seem like a big number and it doesn't seem like a problem. But when you factor in, you know, the 100 million cats and also yeah. the feral cats that are killing everything they can, it becomes a much bigger problem. Well, so I've got experience with, I guess, three invasive species, personal mm -hmm. experience. One is the cat, because we have a born cat. Yes. And that born cat, cute little Dudley, is an ab absolute killer. Complete psychopath. I, I mean, and a lot of birds that get into the barn and... Chipmunks are not safe. Ch oh, my God. No, it's the chipmunks and the mice that you rarely see, if ever see in the barn because of Dudley. Right. And I guess that's where cats originally came from, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Egyptian grain right. repositories that's, of the like. That's their so, original purpose. So I, I get why they were domesticated and I get why they do that. But I think what you're talking about is, again, mostly the feral or wild population of cats and yes. just ki and killing birds away from a barn or a granary Let's or something like that. Let's say away from a job. Right. So another example of cats specifically is that in, I believe, 1949, about 10 or so, I think actually five cats, were brought over to Marion Island, which is off the coast of South Africa. And they were supposed to help with the mice problem. About 20 years later, there were 3,400 uh, cats. And the local bird population was pretty much gone. Right. Because they just they grow are out breeders. of control. They are breeders. They are breeders. They are hunters. And they will, they will kill. Okay. Before we get to the other two mm -hmm. 
invasive species I have some experience with. Uh, the, the notion about breeding, it, this is all triggering ideas in, in my head. So weren't rabbits an introduced yes. species in Australia? Yes. Oh, this is one of my favorite stories. So rabbits were brought over to Australia by who else? A rich man with too much money and not enough sense because he decided he wanted to keep rabbits for hunting in his estate. But animals are very good at not getting where they're supposed to be. Rabbits escaped. They bred like, well, you know. Rabbits. Rabbits. And so there are now 200 million rabbits in Australia. And the rabbits found out, hey, I love it here. There's so much space, you know, fewer natural predators, which is insane considering it's Australia. And they just kept growing out of control. And because of that, they kept eating up all of the local vegetation. Mm -hmm. So they caused a ton of soil erosion is a big problem. Oh, wow. That basically, you know, plants are kind of what keeps the soil together. The roots, they're what keep the ground beneath our feet where it's supposed to be. So when you eat up all of the plants, not only do you create kind of a wasteland, but also now you have more soil erosion. The soil's not as healthy. It's harder to plant. It's harder for things to grow. They were also just being a complete menace to farmers. Right. We've seen Peter Rabbit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Basically that, but 200 million of him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of was, little Peters. Was not good. And so, you know, that's a huge problem that Australia still has is dealing with rabbits. Now, when you were talking about doing this pod, mm -hmm. you were getting very excited about Australia because there apparently there are a lot of invasive species yes. in response to that. But before we get to that. I want to go back to the two species that I know something about. Yes. First one is kudzu, because we've been talking about animals. We've got to talk about plants also. So I Invasive grew up with, species is any living organism, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I remember, you know, I grew up outside of Birmingham and driving, you know, Birmingham was called the Pittsburgh of the South. It was a big uh, iron and mm -hmm. steel place. And I remember there was this abandoned U.S. steel plant. We're driving by it. And over the years, I would see it being swallowed up. I mean, literally swallowed up by the kudzu. Yeah. To the point where, I, I guess, you know, I started thinking about this when I was like, I don't know, five or six years old looking at it. And then I'm in my mid-teens and, and it's, it's like a, a moonscape. It's just, it's just, you don't even see the, the buildings beneath it. It's, it's just like vines. an ocean or a jungle of just of just the kudzu. It's so, crazy. So kudzu is a vine that was originally from Japan, hmm. but it got somehow brought over to the Americas, particularly in the South. And it's now known as uh, the vine that ate the South. Yeah, no, it really it does. Because it just covers everything. I remember similarly, we used to make that lovely drive down from Connecticut to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And along the way, there would be miles and miles where you look out on the side of the road and you see nothing but kudzu, nothing but just those vines covering everything in their path. Yeah. Yeah. It's really crazy. So I'm, I want to come back because obviously, the mm -hmm. I think once we go through this litany, and I know you've got a lot, it's a long list, but we'll talk about, you know, what do you do? Mm -hmm. But the other one, and maybe this is more accurately an introduced species rather than invasive species, but it's wild horses. Yes. And, and you know, we have some personal experience, experience with this because the way that, you know, one of the ways to control the wild horse population out West, most of whom live on 
federal land is they every year they round up thousands of these wild horses, put them on train cars back east, and then they let you adopt them, mm-hmm. which we did. You know, I think we, you know, you adopt it for a dollar. Mustang Makeover. Mustang. And if anyone has not seen that documentary, Mustang Makeover, it's, it is well worth your time because the, you have, you get to adopt mm-hmm. the Mustang. And for us, it was Haven. I guess she was 13, I guess at the time. 13 years old, training a Mustang. And you have to train the Mustang. Uh, you've got a hundred days or something like that to mm-hmm. do it. And it was, it was an amazing experience and, you know, making a dent, I guess, in that population. But as they, as they say about, I remember this phrase from when I used to be interested in zookeeping and zoology, wild horses are charismatic vertebrates. Yes. Right. So, I, I mean, it makes sense that you could have a program where you do something about it by adopting. Yes, it is. I, it's uh, much easier to, let's say, relocate a horse, which right. is an animal that we as humans have a very long history with. We know how to train that them. Than a Burmese people. python. Yeah, it's hard to tell people, oh, don't you want to adopt a cute little six-foot Burmese python? Right. I'm sure there are people who would love to, but you're never going to get enough people who will want to do it. Yeah, that's kind of a one-off, I guess. Uh, but I think some of the other animals you've got or plants are even less... Less cuddly. Let's call it charismatic. Less yeah, cuddly. cuddly. So the next one I want to talk about is something that we've heard a lot about here in the Northeast, which is the spotted lanternfly. Hmm. So yeah. This is a bug type moth. My wife is is very Jennifer is very anti spotted lantern. Very, I moth. I am too. I am too because the problem is not only do they get into crops, they eat the grain, they eat everything, but they also secrete a particular type of mucus that helps the formation of black mold. Oh. So hmm. it's not only that, you know, they're like locusts, they come and they eat everything. But once they've been there, that area is a little bit contaminated. You know, you're going to see a more, a larger increase of mold and other fungi. So the spotted lanternfly was the first time I heard about an invasive species that has a kill-on-site order. Hmm. Because we, the civilian population, have been instructed to, to take Step out, on them. to take out yeah. any spotted lanternfly we see. Yeah, I'm on if it. You, if you see a rogue agent... Use all necessary precautions. But it's hard, right? So I can see that a moth Mm -hmm. you can try to take out. But I'm thinking about some of the other, and you tell me if they're invasive species. So all of our elm trees are dying because of the borer beetle. Originally from Europe, those damn Europeans. Okay. So that's an invasive species. And, you know, they're all dying. I think all of our elm trees are going to be dead in 10 years or something, or some crazy low number of... And the other one, which... a lot of the lakes around here, it's it's milfoil. Milfoil is another one that was brought over again from Europe. And we see a lot of things brought over from Europe, especially in our area, because that's where all the trade was coming in. So that's where all the animals were coming from. Right. And milfoil is another great example of this. It's a plant where it tends to basically coat the top of the water in these kind of shallow areas, which prevents the native species of plants from growing because now they don't have access to that sunlight or the mm-hmm. water's not as warm, which then also hurts the animals that would use that area for shelter or would eat those plants. Now, suddenly, their food supply is completely gone. 
Yeah, and I, and I remember something. I mean, they even ask you to inspect the prop, you mm-hmm. know, on your on your on your motorboat to make sure you're not taking it into some other area of the lake. I mean, I mean, it's it's crazy how easy it is for these things to spread. They spread incredibly quickly. Another one. Speaking of lakes, are yeah. uh, zebra mussels. Oh, that sounds cuddly. It's not. Yeah. It's not. They're everywhere in the Great Lakes. Okay. And so the problem there is that they came from Eurasia to the Great Lakes, and they tend to attach to and incapacitate the native mussels. And they also filter out the algae that the native animals eat. So they're basically, you know, piggybacking off of the existing mussels and then also taking away all the nutrients that everything else would eat. So they're like little Little mussel, little ticks that live on other mollusks Mm -hmm. and... Suck up all the food. And when they're not living on other mussels, they are being on a huge problem. Well, they're a huge problem for power plants. They have to spend wow. millions every year to clean out their water intakes oh, because the wow. mussels get in there and just block it up. You know, you think it's like, oh, what's what's stopping the water flow? It's a thousand and one little mussels, little mollusks that are getting in the way. Amazing. So that's a huge problem. Speaking of plants, and kind of to move away from the more American-centric mm-hmm. examples. Water hyacinths, very beautiful, very, very calming, invasive species that are a huge problem in Uganda. So in Lake Victoria, it is so overtaken in parts with water hyacinth that they that boats can't get through because oh, the man. propellers and the rudders just get jammed with these plants. Where's the water hyacinth from? I be- I'm actually not sure. I'll have to look that up yeah, later. Yeah, wow. I believe it's either it's either from I believe it's from America because I know it's also been a problem in Asia. Okay. But they've actually had to shut down ports on Lake Victoria because there's just no way to get the boats in with all Amazing. the water hyacinth there. Well, all right. I swore we we're going to go back to Australia first when we because we were yes. going to be talking about what do you do, right? What what right. What, what do you do? Like, and we were talking about this earlier. Kill orders can have a problem with them. Kill orders have a problem. So Australia has a very interesting history of dealing with animals they don't like. Mm -hmm. So to go the list of some of the things that they've tried, there's not an invasive species. A native species are in Australia are the emus. Uh, The Australians have technically, I I would say, lost a war against the (laughs) emus because they took military action with machine guns in the 1930s to try to help cull the emu population. Didn't work. The emus were described as standing up to gunfire better than tanks. Nice. It did nice. not work at all. You, when I told you about the rabbits earlier. Yeah. So they decided that the best way to get rid of these rabbits was biological warfare. Well, I mean. They introduced different, they tried fences, they tried poisons. They introduced two different diseases that, that were intended to target the rabbit population. To kill them? To or kill to, them. Okay, because I... We're talking about doing that now with, like, mosquitoes, mm-hmm. right, to bioengineer, to make them infertile. I think that that's, that's the idea. Yes. So they didn't make them infertile, which honestly would be a better idea. Right. This was a Myoxma, M-Y-X-O-M-A virus that they tried in the 1950s. It's actually a virus to actually just It's a virus them. that targets rabbits. They made Ebola for rabbits and sent it out there. And then the other one is the... Rabbit, rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus. Oh, come on. 
I don't know why it's that, a disease now that virus. That really does sound like Ebola for rabbits. RHDV, which they sent out in the 80s. The problem is the rabbits started gaining an immunity to it. So it worked for I can a while think of a lot of problems with, with that kind of, 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 of effort. Oh, mm -hmm. man. And then, the, so the last one yeah. is, so another invasive species that Australia has an issue with is the prickly pear cactus, hmm. which came over from America and just grew everywhere. And they decided, all right, machine guns didn't work. No. Biological warfare doesn't work. Let's introduce their native predator. Because that's really why these invasive species get out of control is because they have no natural predator. Yep. So they introduced the cactus moth caterpillar to eat the prickly pears. Honestly, God, whenever anyone introduces like an insect, I get really nervous. So I'm kind of nervous, too, because the problem with introducing a predator to this new environment is that has the potential to now become Another invasive species. Another invasive species. species, right. You could potentially just be creating another problem. That's actually something Australia tried with the cane toad. They brought the cane toad over to try to help it stop, get rid of all the insects that were eating their crops. And the cane toad didn't do that. And now it's another invasive species in oh, Australia. Wow. Are those those really big frogs? They're really big frogs, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, I need more reasons to not want to go to Australia. I remember there was some story. This is, you know, we learn about this in kind of intro game theory mm -hmm. courses where, and I'm, I'm trying to remember where this was, but basically the government put a bounty on some, I think it was snakes. Snakes. I heard like snakes. snakes in India or something like that. Why right? did it have to be snakes? Right, why it had to be snakes. They put a bounty on the snake. And that program didn't quite work out the way no. the government hoped it would. So that happened in India. I believe it also happened in southern United States. It has also been the subject of a television series. Because what happened is people realized that hunting for snakes is kind of hard. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot easier. To breed them. Breeding the snakes. <laughs> yes. And then handing those in. Right. So what happened was they had intended. You get more snakes. Yeah, they wanted to limit the snake population. But as soon as people realize you get more snakes with less risk if you just build your own, you you ended up increasing the snake population. Right. You create a market in it. And so you get the natural response to a vibrant market or a price insensitive yeah. or a supply insensitive market. You make more supply. Absolutely. And so that's one that's kind of a problem with the invasive species is that yeah. they're really what do hard. We do? It's unclear. I think part of the issue with invasive species is that people don't know that they're invasive. Mm. I think a lot of people don't know that house cats are an invasive species. You don't know that a horse isn't supposed to be here. You don't really think about that. And, there and are, those are the cuddly ones. Those are the cuddly cute ones. You right. know, you're also not thinking about how the lionfish is supposed to be in the Pacific Ocean and has no business being around the Caribbean. Mm. And I think that there's, just, there's more and more examples that you can give because in the U.S. alone, as of 1999, there were 4,000 documented invasive species. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, the big animals. You have, it's the bugs, it's the plants, it's everything that is taking a toll. I think, you know, you don't know something's an invasive species. And also, there's no clear and obvious solution. Right. Do I just step on the bugs when I see them? What am I supposed to do about, you know, this plant? Do I have to uproot every plant? that I think might not be here. It's easy to f kind of figure out something to do with horses. Because like we said, you They're know, cuddly. horses are 
yeah, they're, they're cuddly, they're well-known, yep. and there's an existing relationship with humans. Are we supposed to adopt out the zebra mussels? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, Harper, I, I, was, I was really interested in this when you suggested this as a topic, and it really got me thinking, because when we get to the point of, well, what is there to be done, I think we run into two things. One is the limits of individual action to make mm -hmm. a difference, as you were describing. But also, I think the limits of collective action, you know, the government deciding here's what we're going to do to eradicate the rabbits. We'll or, declare war on the emus. Uh, the emus. And, and this is not, it really isn't to, to point the finger at Australia. It, it, I think any sort of government, you know, so like, you know I'm, I'm from the government, I'm here to help, right? That's the worst thing you want to hear. And I think we make so many mistakes, both in the actual policy, mm -hmm. but I think it can be even more dangerous. And here I'm thinking in terms of COVID, I'm thinking in terms of the environment, I'm thinking in terms of climate change, that, that the efforts the government makes to make you a right-thinking person on these issues, mm -hmm. I think that can backfire or have the exact opposite consequences as much as releasing rabbit Ebola, you know? And, and so I, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of invasive species, but I've thought about it a lot in terms of, I think, what has happened to our world, our society, our politics. And I, and I get a lot of pushback when I talk about the invasive <laughs> narratives, frankly, and ideas that have diminished not our biodiversity, mm -hmm. but our human life diversity and, and, and the like. And I get pushback because I identify the problem and I say that, that collective action to solve these, I don't really think is the answer. And because we say, well, what do we do? What do we do? And, I, and everybody wants the, the easy miracle elixir. Right, right. You, and I want the government to fix it. And I, and I think there are two things that have to happen. One is a realization that there are a lot of things we can't fix, that we have to come to grips and be acceptant of the loss mm -hmm. that our world and that the modern world has imposed on us. It's a loss. But two, I, I think that it's, it's all the more important for us to take individual action to fight against the loss and to preserve all these things we're talking about preserving, individual liberty, <laughs> local flora and fauna, mm -hmm. the biodiversity. Many of these things, we can't make a big impact through our individual actions, but I absolutely think that we take the actions anyway, not because it's going to make a difference, not because we're going to step on enough of the what are the moths? Spotted lanternflies. Spotted lanternflies. Not, not because we're going to step on enough to make a difference, but because that's who I want to be as a human being, the person mm -hmm. who steps on spotted lanternflies. And I don't know. This, this ends up being a deeper conversation, but 
it makes me sad, right? Mm-hmm. I think we tell these stories about the invasive species and you get sad about it. I get sad about it. And, and what I'm left with, though, to move forward is thinking, well, how do I want to live my life in this world of loss so that I can be a better human being and, and, and do what I can against the loss? Right. Maybe, maybe what I do won't fix the problem. That doesn't mean I'm going to give up. doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying. Exactly. And I appreciate you bringing this up because talking about this is a good way of trying. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope that you learned a little something about the many, many invasive species that you'll come across in your life. Step on them. Step on them. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something new. And remember, the real curse is sharing this information with your friends, family, and unsuspecting coworkers. If you enjoyed this production, like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell us your most cursed knowledge by joining us on the forums at epsilontheory.com.